0: Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Good morning, everyone, or hello, whatever time it is that you listen to podcasts. I guess it's not necessarily morning for you. (laughs) Um, Welcome, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room. So I'm driving to work. I'm the only human in this van, and I really need to talk about something. It's funny. I don't know. Is it just this time of year, this the days are getting longer, the sun is rising sooner, and there's something about that. My brain starts bubbling up all these little seedlings of ideas, and I'm so happy to have this podcast to share them with someone, and I'm so grateful to you for listening, so thank you. Um, And so yeah, today I really want to talk about imposter syndrome. I have talked about it before, and I'm quite I'm proud of the episode that I created. You know, I, um, it was more of a traditional podcast for me where I like wrote out an outline and had my, my points more organized. Um, this one I'm going to call Imposter Syndrome 2.0. And obviously it's a bit less polished in that I'm driving to work. So I'm not reading anything. It's more just some thoughts that have been bubbling in my head. Um, but I hope it's helpful because I, I think, um, I'm getting clearer and clearer in my own mind about what imposter syndrome really is um, and finding ways to talk about it that are most meaningful for me. And so I want to share them with you in case it's more meaningful for you. Um, yeah, and the thing that really inspired this was listening to um, an, another podcast, some a, a podcast I really love and highly recommend. Um, it's by this amazing human, Prentice Hemphill, who um, is a somatics practitioner? I'm probably saying the exact terminology incorrectly, but I know they do work with somatics and embodiment, and they also their pronouns are they them, and uh, they also and they do that work um, certainly uh, a lot of the time in social justice spaces in spaces where. Um, you know, people are trying to enact um, and advocate for, you know, really important changes in our world. Um, and so the, uh, they have a podcast called Finding Our Way. And it's so good. Strong, strong recommend. Um, and there's something they said on a recent uh, episode that I listened to, um, where they're talking about shame, um, and and the what how they notice a certain kind of shame, um that's experienced and I, i think it's actually a really important way of describing imposter syndrome and so what they said was um i'm gonna butcher exactly what they said but the the idea was um the times you feel shame um purely because you are being a human being the things that you feel shame for that are are regular Essential human qualities, um, and that's what I think imposter syndrome really is at its core. Um, sometimes I think when we talk about imposter syndrome, it's almost like um, I don't know a way of. It's kind of like when you say, "Oh, I'm just so busy." There's something about when we say, "Oh, I've just got imposter syndrome," and it kind of like normalizes and actually like makes it okay. Um, as if we're all supposed to feel imposter syndrome. And it's, it's sort of a feature and uh, is, is just a part, it's, it's just supposed to be a part of our culture because we're all striving to do something so big. And so when you're striving to do something so big, you're gonna feel like an imposter. And it's just sort of part of it that you're always gonna be questioning and doubting yourself and feeling bad about yourself for the ways that you're not measuring up to this grand and noble profession called medicine. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and I, I am here to normalize as in um, really reveal how common imposter syndrome is and not make any make sure people know because it's been incredible as I've been working with more people like coaching clients and connecting with people how often people say like, I genuinely thought I was the only one. It looks like everyone else has got their stuff together. And I'm over here in a corner being like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I keep up with all of this? Why can't I remember all the things? What is wrong with me? I'm an imposter, right? So I am normalizing imposter syndrome in that way. But I'm not saying it should, the thing I'm not normalizing is that it should be a part of how we experience our work in healthcare. Because what it is, like what Prentice is saying is when we feel shame and anxiety and we feel bad about ourselves as human beings, when we feel bad about features of being a like homo sapien and we're like, what's wrong with me? I'm such a homo sapien. Why can't I be basically a superhuman robot. Like I I really think pretty much all the time, that's what's happening when we have imposter syndrome. So another way of saying this is like, when we feel imposter syndrome, what we're really feeling is the impossible expectations that we have been conditioned to believe we need to have for ourselves in order to feel good enough, to be in medicine in order to belong in medicine i think you know when you think about the term imposter you know it's so you you're pretending to be someone you're not you're feeling like you have to pretend to be someone you're not and the only reason we do that like kind of when you look at human behavior the reason people pretend to be something other than they than they really are, is because they, they think they need to pretend to be that in order to be accepted, in order to have a sense of belonging in a group, right? So for us in medicine, there's a really pervasive and pernicious and what's the third P word? <laughs> Poisonous. There you go. Um, idea that we have to put on a mask, put on a, a false self in order to achieve a sense of belonging, in order to feel like we're good enough, which is a sense of belonging, because it's good enough for who? Other people, right? Like, in order to think we're competent clinicians, competent by whose standards? Other people's. Like, it's all about pretending to be someone you're not for other people, right? So when you think about it, it's it's accurate that you're being an imposter, (laughs) you know? Like, the reason you feel like an imposter is because you are trying to be an imposter. Like every time we're like, oh, I've just got to be so professional. We're, we're posing, we're pretending, we're, we're pushing ourselves to pretend because we think we need to in order to belong. And to be clear, we don't think we need to because we made that up in our brains. It's because we've been constantly getting the message that we should pretend to be something other than we're not. We're constantly told impossible and conflicting messages about what it looks like to be a competent clinician what it looks like to be a true professional you know all these messages we received from you know our families of origin from our preceptors from um like leadership at our healthcare organizations now from colleagues from um I don't know, medical journals, media, our patients, Like there's all these other people and they're all saying, be like this, have these standards for yourself, otherwise you don't belong and we will reject you and you are bad and you're gonna get kicked out of medicine. And so we hear all these messages and we just are trying to like survive and we have these survival mechanisms side of us saying, okay, well apparently the only way I get to stay in this gig is if I, pretend to be what everyone else wants me to be. That's the only way to stay here. And so then we call that imposter syndrome. Like we don't belong. And the the bit of it that's important to know is like when you're in that mode and you're really only thinking about these impossible conflicting standards of other people, you are totally being like brainwashed to forget all of the ways that you already certainly are doing incredible, valuable Way more than good enough work with each of your patients, right? So, not only are you exhausting yourself trying to push to an impossible standard that no one can meet, and that's already a bunch of energy, you know, wasted um, in a way, right? Also, you aren't getting nourished by noticing everything you're doing that is great in your day. So, it's like this double edged. Um it's like it just robs you of any sense that you can feel good about your job. <laughs> just to put it very bluntly, right? And um yeah, so that's the main thing I want to say about imposter syndrome. So like the thing so so that's what's going on. That's kind of a way I want to describe what imposter syndrome is. And so now what? It's like, okay, that's great, Joan. So now when I'm feeling imposter syndrome all day, apparently that it's because it's true I'm being an imposter. So what am I supposed to do? You know? Um, I do think that first step of like really acknowledging what's going on and being very precise about what's going on, that awareness is the first and really most important step. So say you're in a room with a patient, and they've asked you a question, and you don't know the answer to it. Or say you're talking to a specialist, and they're using that condescending tone, or they, you know, say the colleague um, writes a note, and they include in the note, I'm not sure why Dr. So-and-so didn't think to start or stop this medication. Or <laughs> Those are just some concrete examples of times when imposter syndrome has come up for me in the past. Or like, say you go to a conference and they're like, well, obviously everyone here knows that standard of care is blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I'm only doing that first blah. I've never heard of those second two blahs, right? And so then you feel what we call imposter syndrome. I think it's important to know really what's happening is... Your your body is experiencing a sense of insecurity and unsafety, right? It's not feeling like you have what you need to stay with the group, with the pack, and, and, and have that belonging. And that's one of our most powerful survival drives because we are social creatures. Like, humans aren't really meant to be lone wolves. We, look at how we're designed. We're like fleshy... We don't got any spikes on us. Like we, we have giant brains and kind of like noodly bodies. Like we're not designed to be like killing machines by ourselves in the forest. We're designed to exist in packs and in, in groups and villages, right? Like that's um a part of how we've evolved. And so we have a very, very powerful sense of a need to belong because there was a time way back where like literally there were like, 50 people in your village. And so, if everyone decided you didn't, you know, make the cut and excommunicated you from the village, you like could literally die. So, it's a very potent um, survival feeling that you feel in those moments. And it's exacerbated by all of the people in your past um, and all the environments in your past that have told you make sure you never make a mistake, make sure you always know the answer. You know, what happened to the other 1% on the test? you know, uh, what, who, you know, what kind of person would do make that clinical decision? Like all the times you've heard people other and alienate another human, and maybe it was you, you know, maybe you made a mistake in your residency or in your early learning and someone just totally like ripped, ripped you a new one about that mistake. And you felt so othered, you felt so rejected, you felt so, um, alienated from the group right and so now it's become honestly like a kind of trauma response so that anytime you hear of a new thing you didn't know that's apparently everyone knows or if you're asked a question you don't know the answer or if you think you might have made a mistake or you're you're uncertain about a case and all of these things bring up for you this like response from your past of like I can't feel that alone again I can't feel that alienated again that was such a painful experience to go through I have to find a way to fit in. I really think under the surface, the thing that we're calling imposter syndrome is really this, this terror of rejection, this terror of alienation. And, you know, sometimes we call it, oh, someone's being insecure and as if that's like makes them weak, but like on a basic human level we crave and need security social security and belonging it's like it's a primal drive and so those are moments where we don't feel secure we feel really fundamentally insecure in our place in this society and our place in this relationship with this patient or this colleague or this organization right and so all of that we call imposter syndrome but and, and underneath that's my emotional experience of what's happening is this like insecurity, but really like this terror of rejection and alienation and isolation. Because those, that's like, it's like death for us as humans. Like we need each other's connection, right? So just knowing that's what's going on under the surface and offering ourselves like so much like care and support finding people we do feel more secure and safe to like connect with and encourage us and remind ourselves that we are valuable good people you know like that's like so important and that's like I think the critical first step is really just understanding what's really going on and then especially once we've like tended to sort of the emotional reaction of it then um thinking critically about what it was, what was the standard? What was the condition of belonging that this experience activated in me? And can I look at that condition of belonging that I think is true? At least my body thinks is true. It's learned that it's true over time. So the condition of belonging could be You only get to belong if you never make a mistake. You only get to belong if you know all the answers. You only get to belong if all your patients like you. You only get to belong if you look a certain way, like whatever it is, right? And so after you've done sort of that emotional work of like tending to yourself and finding your your access to security a little more outside the situation usually I'm imagining this is really mostly happening after the fact you know but reflecting back on that imposter syndrome situation really looking at that condition of belonging and like asking yourself critically like is that a condition I want to keep for myself because someone out there is going to hold that condition of belonging to you people have really banana I bananas ideas about like what doctors should do, including other doctors. Like I've had a a, a few conversations with some coaching clients about how wounded they have been by some really nasty ways that clinicians talk to each other, like in specialist notes or in like really unkind phone calls, you know, this stuff is real. And, um, we just, we can't change all those other people, certainly, uh, and, and we don't need to change their minds about whether we belong in medicine that's the thing like when we were kids we did have to believe the grown-ups around us and we had to for survival purposes really take on their ideas in terms of conditions of belonging and so maybe in your family of origin it's been really for a very very long time you felt you've had to perform in a certain way to please the people around you um, in order to create a sense of conditional belonging and you've had to follow a lot of conditions in order to feel like you could belong in your family of origin right and that was really important and sacred and like I just have so much love for my past self and my child self for everything she did to to help fit into the box that her environment growing up required of her it was powerful work I did and now I am a grown-up now I'm 10 years into practice I'm I must be able to create my own sense of what I want a good doctor to mean by now you know and um and so I've I it's time in my life and I invite you to consider if it's time in your life to start setting down some of these conditions of belonging that we've been received and continue to receive from others and so say the judgmental specialist says, I don't know how any competent clinician couldn't remember to start this medicine or like whatever the things are they say. I mean, we don't even need to go into what must be happening in that other clinician's mind where they feel like they have to so ardently and fervently and and unkindly set conditions of belonging for other people in order to feel better themselves. Okay, we'll put that in a little, (laughs) put a pin in that conversation for another time. But you do get to decide if that person has the power to set a condition of belonging for you. Because I don't know who's listening to this, but you already belong. Like, you're already in the club, you know? Whatever stage you're at, you're there. You made it. You you went through medical school. <laughs> like, you know, say, um, for those of you who are, like, fully graduated and practicing, like, you're in the conditions, the actual... Uh, you know, legal conditions of belonging, you've passed, you've made it, you are a full-fledged clinician already. So all these extra ones that that it feels like you have to be like juggling, like juggling balls up in the sky, keep all these balls up in order to keep belonging. Watch what happens when you start to set those down. Watch what happens if, and it can be a really gentle, gradual process one at a time, because when you start to set them down, so say you start to set down the my charting needs to be perfect in order for me to belong. Otherwise, someone could look at my charting and judge me and then kick me out of medicine. No one thinks that consciously, but it's clear from the the way that some of us respond emotionally to the idea of having imperfect notes that we have just at our core, a socialized condition of belonging there, you know? So as you set that down and start to have messier, shorter just what you need notes where you're not performing for the future lawyers, you're not performing for colleagues who might judge you, you're just doing it for you. You know, that's one piece of letting go of that imposter syndrome kind of work. And um you you can do it one bit at a time and allow your body to feel the insecurity and anxiety it might feel about shifting your internal standards of what... um what you need to feel safe in medicine. It's so powerful, though, to do this work. It's so powerful to, you know, say to your patients with love and care and confidence, I don't know the answer to that question. That's a really interesting question, and I don't know the answer, you know? And when patients say, what do you mean you don't know the answer? What do you mean you don't have all the statistics? Like, they get to have whatever expectations they want, but actually... I know I can care for them better if A, I'm honest and authentic and B, um, if I model for them what I value in myself as a clinician and offer it to them as something if they want, they could value in their clinician. They don't have to, but you know, I think it's actually much more potent and powerful to have an honest, transparent, confident clinician who knows their limitations and doesn't try and pretend it doesn't, doesn't become an imposter Right, and so each time we do these tiny things and these tiny moments, whatever it is, ask the question of the specialist. Even though your brain says they're going to judge you, da da da. So you've procrastinated that referral note for days or weeks because you're so scared of what they'll think of you. What if you stop all of that worrying, send it anyway? And know that whatever response they give back is not a condition of your belonging, but just someone's random opinion. (laughs) It's based on their thoughts in their head. And, you know, they've been swimming in the same medical culture and you. So they may have some really vicious and not useful ideas about what conditions of belonging you're supposed to live up to. That doesn't mean you have to, right? Okay, so those are my thoughts. Those are my ideas that I wanted to share with you. Now, I would really love to take this to a more granular, specific level for you. Like I've given some examples here, but this work of sort of um, healing your imposter syndrome, I don't know if that's the right term, but like using the times where you feel imposter syndrome is actually a powerful invitation to practice more self-trust, confidence, authenticity for yourself so that you can actually enjoy your work in healthcare. That is just my favorite. It's sort of the core of everything I do with my coaching clients probably, you know, and certainly a lot of the main thesis of this podcast and getting really granular and specific with it is what makes it most powerful. So if, whether this is the first podcast you've listened to, if you've listened to all of them and you've been you know, making changes in your practice based on what I've talked about and you're noticing little shifts, but you're, you are wishing you could kind of take it and get, take it to a deeper level. I would love to offer, um, you an opportunity to do that. So I, um, am hosting a workshop specifically about imposter syndrome. Um, it, um, is coming up just a minute. got to Check myself into my parking garage. It is coming up March uh, 28th, I hope is the date. Uh, please look at the show notes and confirm if that's true. It's a Tuesday at the end of March um, at 8 p.m. Eastern. And um, I would love for you to join me there. I would love to really connect with all of you who listen to the podcast or follow on social media and really get specific with what are the places in your experience in healthcare where you feel this imposter syndrome the most, where you feel that the only way that you can maintain your level of belonging and, um, acceptance is to be an imposter and pretend to not be human. Pretend that it's not fully human to forget things. To pretend it's not fully human not to have, you know, the totality of medical knowledge in your brain. To pretend it's not completely human to um I don't know, be hungry, thirsty, tired, grumpy, have emotions. Like um all the things that we think we have to hide that is just in, in order to like fit in and pretend you're not a human being. Like that whole notion of being a professional. And if when we picture a professional, what we're really picturing isn't like a real full bodied human being, we got to let go of those ideas of professionalism, honestly. So anyway, I would love um, to do this work with you in the particular. And so the way that I love to do this is through things like my workshops, where not only do you get to connect with me, but other healthcare humans. And um, we work through basically just reflecting on what area... In this one, what's going to happen is we're going to reflect on areas in medicine that imposter syndrome comes up the most, focus in on one of them, and sort of really get uh, specific for each of you who come what are some small but potent things you can do to to help unravel that sense of the need to be an imposter in a need to pretend? Um, how can we let go of these impossible conditions of belonging that others have given to us? And how can we instead really ground and root ourselves in in the fact that who we are as humans is actually the best healthcare? provider that our our patients could need and that the most value comes from us as authentic human beings and not pretending to be someone we're not so that's what that workshop's going to be about i would love for you to join me there um if you don't prefer a group environment and would rather work with me one-on-one, you also can um, go to my website, and I and I am accepting applications as well as booking um, a la carte appointments for the spring. And so there's opportunities to work with me one-on-one as well. But I just hope that you would take me up on one of these opportunities for this spring. If you've been listening to me for a bit and you've been considering. Um, how this work can apply to your life, and you're and you're wanting support to really make it real instead of a nice theory, but like let's get it practice and really actually transforming your experience of healthcare. Maybe you, like me, are feeling a little more spicy, a little little um, more capable as the sun gets brighter and the energy comes back after our winter hibernation. I would love to do this work with you, so no matter what, if you want the workshops or you want the one-on-one, joanchanmd.com has all of that. And I hope to see you soon in one of those spaces because I would love to help your experience of healthcare feel more human, authentic, genuine, instead of having to feel like an imposter all the time. Okay. I'll see you soon. Hey there, healthcare humans. I wanna invite you to sign up for my course, How to Stop Worrying About Your Patients. It's a free five-day email course delivered right to your inbox, where I teach you why worrying is optional, that it's not actually helpful for your patients, and that it's possible to reclaim your brain from worry and start enjoying your life in and outside of medicine. Go to joanchanmd.com course to sign up now. I'll see you in your inbox.